you turn to Psalm 73? Seventy-third Psalm. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, or the ungodly, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places thou castest them down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakens. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me up by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, They that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all 
thy works. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for who you are. How we thank you for your word. How we thank you for the gospel of your free grace. How we thank you for the salvation that's in thy son. How we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, accept our thanksgiving for Christ's sake. We ask that you would enable us to truly confess our sins and take sides with thee against ourselves. Lord, we ask for the gift of faith that we might be enabled to believe your gospel. We pray that you would cause your gospel to be preached in the power of your spirit and that we might be enabled to worship thy dear son. Give us grace to love you more and truly love one another more. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I do not know if there is a more base emotion than envy. Envying someone. Being uncomfortable at the blessing of somebody else, thinking it should be to me. I would rather have it for myself than them. And actually feeling ill will towards someone. I don't know of a more base emotion and I don't believe anything could be more unreasonable than a believer envying an unbeliever. Yet that is what is going on in this psalm. This is what the psalmist is uh, correcting himself for. His envy of unbelievers. And it, he ends up, as we saw in reading that, saying, I was like a beast. I was so base, I was like a beast before thee. That's how he concluded uh, what he was before God. Now, look in verse 1 of Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Now, listen to the language. God is good to Israel. Now, he's good to all of his creatures in a um, way of, uh, he's not cruel or capricious or capricious or, uh, he's good to everybody. Nobody can say, God wasn't good to me. Nobody can say that. What about all these people with uh, physical uh, impairment? Well, God's good to everybody. I know we can think of objections and when we think of objections, we're in a bad place because that means we're becoming God's judge. Don't be God's judge. He's a lot better than me and you are. <laughs> Infinitely better than me and you are. But when he's speaking of God's goodness here, he's talking about God's goodness to Israel. And he's not talking about national Israel. He's talking about the true Israel of God. Every single believer. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. So is every other believer. We're the true Jews. And God is good. This is the goodness that's spoken of in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses said, show me your glory. God said, I'll make all my goodness to pass before thee. And he's talking about his saving goodness, his capacity 
to show mercy to people like me and you. Truly, God is good to Israel. And don't miss this. Here's how they're described. Even to such as are of a, what? Clean heart. That means morally pure. Without sin. God is good to such as are of a clean heart. What did the Lord say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the what? Pure in heart. Now the only way that that can be understood is in light of the two natures of the believer. A believer has a holy nature, a pure heart that the Lord spoke of, and he's got his old nature. And that's just what the scripture teaches. Uh, you can't really under, if that's not true, then what are you going to do with this thing of a clean heart? You don't have one. <laughs> I mean, can you look in your heart right now and say, I've got a morally pure, clean heart? Of course not. It's defiled, and you know that. But if you're a believer, you have a new heart. That's the heart that believes. That's the heart that recognizes your sinfulness. You wouldn't see that without this clean heart being spoken of. Now, truly, God is good to Israel, such as are of a clean heart. They've been given this new heart. Remember when David said, created me a clean heart, O God? You know, even when you have a clean heart, that's the heart that cries out all the time, created me this clean heart. Now, you take that away. People, people kind of argue against uh, two separate natures. You better hope it's not that way. Because if, um, if, there is only, if there's not two natures, this verse of Scripture leaves us with no hope. You see that? No hope. Now, let's go on reading. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was overcome with a completely wicked and ridiculous attitude. Now, can a believer get that way? Well, do you? <laughs> That's easy to answer that question, isn't it? I mean, he... He says, as for me, I looked at where I was going, what I was thinking, and my feet were almost gone. I mean, I, my steps had well nigh slipped. And here's what the problem was, verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever been envious at the prosperity of somebody? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> um, how foolish for a believer to be envious of an unbeliever, no matter how, quote, good they have it. How foolish. And the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is Speaking of himself, he said, "How I was envious at the uh, prosperity of the wicked. Now, I want you to think about this. Romans 8, 31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? 
But the opposite is true. If God's against you, who can be for you? If you're of this number called the wicked, who could be for you? It's true, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's very true. It's also true, all things work together for bad to them that have no love for God, to them who are not the called according to his purpose. And I'm envying somebody like this? Yeah. <laughs> How horrible. How evil. And the psalmist doesn't present it to be anything less than that. I was envious at the, at the prosperity of the wicked. Now here's what he says when he observes their prosperity. He says, there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. There are no fetters in their death. They die high, happy quite often. Happy. Somebody says the death of the unbeliever can be terrible. Well, a lot of times it's not. Everything's been downhill for them. They feel good. I'm, I'm good to go. I've been a good person. I'm not afraid to die. And they die like that. No bands in their death. Um, their strength is firm. They stay healthy, wealthy, and wise up until the end. They have a good life, so to speak. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men are. Neither are they plagued like other men. It seems like they just have easy lives. No sickness. No, they got plenty of money, uh, plenty of friends. Everything is going well for them. And I'm jealous of them. I don't see it that way for me. Seems much more troublesome for me. Now remember, this is Asaph, the psalmist, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's being honest. You know, most of us, uh, we probably wouldn't admit to this if we we're talking to somebody. We'd kind of keep our mouth shut and probably it would be wise to do so. As a matter of fact, uh, most of the stuff we say would be better left not said. And the psalmist is going to go ahead and say that in a few moments. But he says, verse 6, therefore pride... Because they have such uh, good lives, therefore pride compasses them about as a change. They pat themselves on the back. Hey, I must be doing something right. Violence covereth them as a garment. They're going to do whatever they want to get their way. They're going to manipulate every situation. They're going to press to get their way. That's what this violence is speaking of. This is not just talking about somebody hitting somebody. This is talking about getting your way, whatever it takes. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. Um, they, they have no needs. Everything seems good. They have more than their heart could wish. They got so much money. They're having so much fun. They, have so, they, they got such good lives. Verse 8, they're corrupt speak and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They're going to get what they want, and they're going to use their words to get it. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble in my heart, trouble in my home. Trouble in my health. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Man that's born of woman is born to trouble. Job said it says sparks fly upward. Trouble. And they say, and I believe this is not talking about God's people. I think this is still talking about the wicked. 
They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? We're not, we're not uh, worried about the way things are. Now, look what he says now. Behold, these are the ungodly. These people I'm talking about. These are the ungodly who prosper in the world. And they do. They increase in riches. They got a maid. They're going downhill. Everything's easy for them. So what does the psalmist say when he looks at their prosperity and their increase in riches? He says, verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. I've done all this good stuff. What good has it done me? Look, they have it better than me. Now, this is the psalmist speaking, and he's talking about, you know, one of the amazing things, one of the many amazing things about the psalms is they express reality. And this is what's going on here. Asaph is talking about his um, jealousy and envy at the prosperity of the wicked. He's saying, here, I have served the Lord in vain. What good's it done me? They have it much better than me. Verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. I haven't had it like them. Verse 15, if I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Now, if I say what is in my heart, it'll be offensive to God's people. And he realizes this when he was speaking this way. He says, um, I, even thinking this, if I bring it out loud, it'll be offensive to God's children. And I shouldn't really be saying this is what he's saying. And what I took out of that is most of the things that we say probably shouldn't be said. Most of the things. As far as what is going on, he said, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't think this way. That would be offensive to God's children. And then he says in verse 16, when I thought to know this, what was going on inside my heart, this jealousy, this envy, it was too painful for me. I was just overcome with my own stupidity, how I could let myself get in a shape like this, actually being jealous of the wicked until, verse 7, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Well, what's that? Well, it's where God is. Well, somebody says, isn't that everywhere? Yeah, but it's a realization of it. The holy place, Christ Jesus, the Lord. When I went into the sanctuary of God, my uh, perspective totally changed. And I saw how foolish I was in being envious of somebody like this. Look what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Verse 18, surely. Now don't miss that word. Surely. Thou didst set them in what? Slippery places. Where they're going to fall to their own destruction. Who set them there? God did. Now, am I going to be jealous 
and envious of someone that God has put in a slippery place. Now understand, um, we want to have money to pay our bills. Money's a blessing in that sense. I want to be in a place where I have heat, air conditioning. Uh, I want to have a car that's dependable, all those kind of things. You all feel that way. Um, but the love of money, Paul says, is the root of all evil. The love of money. The love of the, uh, for instance, the, it makes you think you, it, it, it indicates that God's blessing is upon you. Look all I've done. It could be you're under God's curse. Uh, financial prosperity could be the curse of God. And uh, this is what he recognizes at this time. Uh, he says, these people who have it so well, who are always healthy, they're always wealthy, they're always wise, they have easy lives, no trouble, God put them in slippery places where they're just going to forget about him. They don't care. Look how well things are for me. Well, God's put them in a place that is slippery where they're going to slip and fall. Uh, there's another scripture that says they shall slide in due time. In due time. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Now, they may be uh, very self-confident now. One of these days they won't be. They're going to be utterly consumed with terrors when they stand before a holy God without Christ, without his grace, without his mercy, without the blood of Christ. They're going to stand before a holy God, a sin-hating, and this is who he is, a sin-revenging God. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God always pays his debts. You can write that down. And these people were going to be utterly consumed with terrors. Look at verse 20. As a dream, when one awakes, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, it seems like you're asleep while they're uh, having such a good time and everything seems to be unrequited. And they speak against the heavens. But here's what's going to happen. As in a dream, when one awakes, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. These people that I'm envious at, these people I'm jealous of, God is going to despise their image. Now, how does the psalmist feel now about, now that he's seen things as they really are? What God's going to do with these people. Verse 21. Thus was my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins and my emotions. I was so ashamed of myself. I was so grieved at the baseness of my own heart. So foolish, look in verse 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. 
That's why I felt like I was nothing more than a beast with these base emotions of envy and jealousy of people that you've despised and set them in slippery places, and you've been merciful and gracious to me. And the thought that I had been envious of these people, I felt myself to be no different than a brute beast. That's how I felt about myself. You ever felt that way about yourself? Nothing more than a brute beast. Well, that's how the psalmist felt. But uh, look here in verse 23. Nevertheless. You know, the gospel is in that word. Nevertheless. In spite of all this. Turn with me to Psalm 106 for just a moment. Verse 6. Psalm 106, verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. They were a, Spurgeon has a sermon on this where he said, uh, with regard to verse 7, they were a spiritually stupid people. They didn't understand his wonders. They were an ungrateful people. They remembered not the multitude of his mercies, they were a provoking people. They provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea, nevertheless. Nevertheless. He saved them for his name's sake. That he might make his mighty power to be known. There's the gospel. He saved them, not for any goodness in them. He saved them for his name's sake. Now, back to Psalm 73, the psalmist said, I was no different than a beast. Nevertheless. Now, do you know that union with Christ never takes a break? It's continual. And... God's people are never viewed at any time independently of their union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what he's saying. He says, nevertheless, I am continually. When I was like a beast, you know what? I was with thee continually. When I was jealous and envious of the wicked, nevertheless, I'm continually with be. Union with Christ never takes a break. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Even during all those times, that, that grip has never relaxed. I'm always in his hand. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me into Glory. I'm going to have be 
guided by his counsel, the steps of a good man, and that's every believer, are ordered by the Lord. Do you know every step you take is ordered by the Lord? Every step. Most of the time you're not aware of it, but it's still true. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, with thy purpose, and afterwards receive me to glory. I'm going to be in your very presence, perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Now here's what he says now, and he'd been jealous of the wicked when he saw their prosperity, but look how different he is now. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but thee? What more could you want? Is there anything to covet? Is there anything to be jealous of? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. What a different perspective. Now, he goes to verse 26, and I, I think once again, this is only understood with regard to the two separate natures a believer has. Now, he says with regard to his flesh and his heart, what's it do? It faileth. With regard to everything, with regard to me, failure. Failure. My flesh and my heart, failure. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, the new heart, God's the strength of that heart. That's the pure heart that the Lord spoke of in the Beatitudes. You know, I, I was thinking about the, the, just the Beatitudes. And uh, blessed are the pure in heart. You know the evidence of being pure in heart? You're poor. You mourn. You're meek. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're merciful. You're a peacemaker. And you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Christ's righteousness' sake, not your own. That is the pure in heart. And then he says in verse 27 For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. And I, I think of that, the language of that. Um, there is only peace and safety in the covenant. The covenant David said, although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. Now in a marriage, um, you're not to go outside of that covenant. And you're not to go outside of the covenant God has made where you find all your comfort, all of your security in that covenant only. The psalmist says, but it's good for me to draw near to God. 
draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Somebody says, well, how am I supposed to do that? Let us draw near in a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What that means is you draw near through the blood. That's the only way you draw near. But you're drawn near and come and welcome through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're always welcome. I think it's um, sad how when we um, try to get our hearts prepared, you know, I've got to be less sinful. I've got to, I've got to get this taken care of before I, I can come into God's presence. That's just works. That's all that is. Just works. It's good for me to draw near to God. And the only way I draw near is through the blood, but through the blood I draw near. It's good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God. That's where my trust is. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's in him. What a place for trust. And here's why. That I may declare what? All thy works. Works of creation, providence, and salvation.